And now, from the University of Chicago Institute of Politics and CNN, The Axe Files, with your host, David Axelrod. Don Rose is probably a name that you've never heard before, but he is a very big deal in the evolution of independent black politics in Chicago uh, and has a story that is worthy of a novel. Uh, He also happens to be a personal mentor of mine, having uh, taken me under his wing as a young, uh, when I was a young journalist, uh, and uh, played a big role in my development. Uh, So I feel a, a, a personal kinship to him. But mostly I love hearing him talk about his story and his journey uh, from a young jazz man in Chicago uh, to uh, press secretary for Martin Luther King and the Chicago 7 demonstrators in the 1968 convention to a major uh, political strategist uh, in subsequent decades. Just one word of caution in telling a formative story from his childhood, Don used a word that he found deeply offensive then and is deeply offensive today. And now on to the conversation. Don Rose, my great old friend, it's great to uh, great to be with you again. You've been, uh, you're like Zelig. You've been on the scene for a lot of different episodes in history, but I want to talk a little bit about your history before we get uh, to those because it's pretty rich and interesting too. First of all, tell me how your your family got to Chicago. Well, I was I was uh, born in Chicago, and my uh, 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 but both parents uh, lived there at the time. My my grand my my mother uh, was a little more peripatetic with her family. They had lived in. Uh, 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 in El Paso, Texas, and they lived in a uh, suburb, and then they got to Chicago. And my grand, my uh, father was actually born. He was uh, the first of his family born in uh, the states with uh, the name Rose. The name was originally Rosowski, but he was actually the. Where they come from? Uh, the, 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 they came from uh, the Odessa area, mm-hmm. which was then part of Russia. All four grandparents came from there. Mm-hmm. And um, so they headed to El Paso, where all Jews go. Right. My 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 uh, grandfather had a, a strange history. He and his brother uh, <clears throat> built the first synagogue in El Paso, Texas, and then many years later, I have no idea how they migrated down there. Well, after I was, you know, I was seven or eight, nine. Um, Moved to Vincennes, Indiana, to start a, uh, a a dry goods business, and they built the first synagogue in Vincennes, Indiana. <laughs> so dotting the country with 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 synagogues, right? And and your folks uh, settled in Chicago. You were born here, yep. always in the Hyde Park area around the University of Chicago. No, uh, actually, I was born in Rogers Park, and which is on the north side of Chicago. North side of Chicago, the far north side, and. Uh, uh, the family moved to West Rogers Park, uh, which was to the western part of the far north side, which was uh, a typical migratory pattern for uh, Jews of that era in mm-hmm. the 30s. Uh, and uh, I didn't uh, uh, move to Hyde Park until uh, uh, some years later. I went to the University of Illinois in Chicago and then downstate and came back. And when I uh, 
went off to Europe. And when I came back from Europe in uh, uh, the middle 50s is when I moved to Hyde Park. I see. I see. And your dad ran a, a shoe store. In Evanston, yes. And you uh, took up music uh, when you were young. Yeah, I was a, uh, uh, one of the original uh, or the, 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 the first and a half generation uh, bebop jazz players in uh, the middle 40s. How did that come about? Well, I'd always played the trumpet. I were well, always, but you know, when I started out in at school, age, or? in school, mm-hmm. uh, uh, the music teacher uh, came around and passed out instruments, and I thought the trumpet was a pretty smart instrument to play, and uh, I learned a little bit and uh, went on and uh, entered uh, uh, the jazz world in my early high school years. And how did you get exposed to that? I mean, Chicago was a pretty rich jazz scene, right? Yes, yes. And uh, uh, in, in these days, in the, in the, the, the middle 40s, um, a, a new form of jazz was emerging. When I was just growing up in grammar school and starting high school, uh, I was fortunate enough to be part of uh, what we call the swing era, where uh, uh, jazz was the popular music of the time. You know, bands like uh, uh, Woody Herman, Count Basie, Duke Ellington were pop music mm-hmm. as well as something esoteric. And during uh, uh, the middle 40s, a change came over, a, a form of jazz called bebop, led by Charlie Parker and Dizzy Gillespie. And uh, I heard this guy, Dizzy Gillespie, playing things that uh, uh, weren't supposed to be played on the trumpet. And uh, I tried like hell to play him. <laughs> and um, you you ran across Max Roach. Is, is, uh, and uh, I know your son is named, My son Max. Is named Max. Inspired yeah. by that? Uh, it was it, exactly. That's um, a funny little story. But uh, uh, Charlie Parker, who was... Then a demigod, may still be, um, was playing at a place called the Argyle Lounge in uh, the uptown neighborhood of Chicago and uh, took a break and uh, went to the washroom and uh, I followed him to the washroom because I had to do it, but I also wanted (laughs) to be near him. And... um, uh, killing two birds with one stone. Right. right. Ma- Max Roach played a, uh, a tremendous solo waiting for Parker oh. to come back out of the washroom. I see. <laughs> and uh, He was a drummer. We should point out for those who aren't jazz yeah, aficionados, he's a, a, ma- a master jazz drummer. Right. And um, Bird looked at me when, uh, uh, you know, didn't know me from Adam, but the first word he said to me was, Max. Uh-huh. And... Um, that stuck with stuck me. With you, huh? I thought Max was going to be a good name for my kid because there was also uh, a family name, but he was really named after Max Roach. We told some of the family he was named after some grandparent. <laughs> now you went to uh, you went to Europe uh, and to France uh, yes. to 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 play music. Uh, no, actually, by that time I had. Uh, um, uh, in the uh, 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 early 50s, I had a, uh, um, a bicycle accident that smashed up my lip, and uh, my uh, next career was going to be as uh, the great American novelist. And I went to Europe uh, to follow the uh, Hemingway Fitzgerald uh, a path to uh, the great American novel, which... Um, 
wrote, wrote it, but it didn't couldn't could, couldn't get it published. But during that era, I got to know a lot of interesting people, like Jimmy Baldwin, James Baldwin, who had just published uh, "Go Tell It on the Mountain," and there was a, and was encamped in Paris at the time. Yes, he had been mm-hmm. living there for three or four years. And uh, I had previously read some of his essays, and I thought the book was marvelous. And he was part of a small group of um, uh, African-American exiles, uh, which included a lot of musicians, artists, writers, um, and uh, um, most of our conversations uh, were not about race but were about literature. He introduced me to uh, Richard Wright, uh-huh. Uh, the great uh, uh, Chicago novelist, yes. and uh, so I had uh, I had already uh, developed a uh, um, an interest in uh, 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 well, what we now call civil rights. I can't we didn't use the term at the time, but I, yeah. I, I uh, coming back into vogue. Uh, yes, um, let me uh, uh, before we leave your whole music experience. I know mm-hmm. that there was some period in, the, in there where you had some experimentation with drugs. And part, of, part of being a bebop musician was uh, using heroin like Charlie Parker. Uh-huh. Everybody used to think, whether they articulated it, that, uh, that that's what helped make Charlie Parker as great as he was, and a number of us uh, uh, used it. Fortunately, I got off of it uh, very quickly. Um, Due to uh, you know some psychoanalytic help and uh, uh, a brain that says if this continues, I'm going to wind up being dead. Yeah, as, a, as, as as Parker and many others did. Very young, yes. Yeah. So uh, just returning to to uh, to France, it, it sounds like a very romantic scene. Uh, all of these incredibly creative uh, people. How, how did your own writing? Evolved there. What were you? Were you trying to write novels? I was time? trying to write novels. I wrote a novel about, uh, of all things, about jazz musicians. Uh-huh. And um, what I found when I got back was trying to sell it. I was writing in a very naturalistic, uh, for want of a better word, not comparing it, but a more, a more uh, bare bones Hemingway style. And by the time uh, I was trying to sell the book. Uh, the uh, 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 more florid, uh, what we now call beat generation, poetic writers. Kerouac. And, and those people yeah. were writing, and they were writing about the same subject, so mine uh, you know, really couldn't compete, although I think it was a pretty good book. <laughs> yeah, but what, as you point out, what, what, what did come uh, from that was, uh, and I'm sure from your experience in Chicago, was this devotion to... Uh, civil rights, and you'd been involved in sort of uh, left-wing politics, progressive politics. Right. Uh, what drew you there, and at, at what point did you start getting involved in, in that? Well, if I can tell, I don't know how much time we've got here, but you, I start, it's a I podcast, start, I, brothers. I, just tell the story. I started reading when I was eight or nine, and I read about. Uh, 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 I remember uh, an encyclopedia. I opened up to about government, and I don't remember whether it was a school assignment or just my own interest, and it compared um, fascism, which was going on at the time, uh, quote, democracy, U.S. democracy, Mm -hmm. and socialism, 
And um, from reading just what was in the encyclopedia, I decided that socialism was probably uh, the form of government that uh, uh, most appealed to me. Now, uh, what got me uh, into um, uh, uh, sort of interested in, 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 in black issues um, I mentioned Vincennes, Indiana. Uh, my grandmother got sick, and my mother moved the family, except for my father, down to help her, uh, which included our African-American uh, housekeeper maid. Her name was Azaline Smith. And uh, one day she was going to take me to a movie. There, was, there were two movies in Vin- houses in Vincennes, Indiana, and uh, there was a movie we wanted to see uh, at the movie called The Blue Moon. And the two of us went there. And the uh, box office lady says, I'm sorry, uh, we don't let colored people here. You have to go to the Pantheon up the street where there's a balcony where you sit in the balcony. Uh, well, I was outraged. I, I, I had How no, old you? I, I was maybe nine. Mm-hmm. Maybe maybe ten, um, and uh, I, I, I was truly outraged by this, uh, and it, it it taught me a certain lesson, not just that it was terrible for um, poor Azaline, who must have just, you know, coming from Chicago, she must have had some bad racial experiences, but I think this was her first quote Southern style uh-huh. experience, but. It taught me that it was bad for me. Segregation was hurting me as well as uh, Asleen. And so that, that lesson stuck with me. And <clears throat> somewhere along the line, um, back in Chicago, uh, I hope I can say the word on the air. You can edit if necessary. Somebody referred to her as a nigger. And... Uh, I went to my mother, who was not a particularly uh, political person or anything, but she was very Jewish. And uh, uh, I said, so-and-so called Azaline a nigger. And she said, my mother said, stay away from people like that, because if they will say nigger in front of you, they'll say kike behind your back. Mm-hmm. Now, th- those were very formative things at age 10 and 11, and, uh, you know, I didn't have a chance to uh, start exercising um, any activity, any left or civil rights activity until uh, 47 when I was on my way to being 17 years old. I passed out literature for Henry Wallace, the uh, independent progressive party candidate. And it's just gone on and on. So, you know, there was an interregnum when I went to Europe, when I was playing and so on. And um, this is where it tied into the music scene because I was in a, a very interracial yeah, world absolutely. in that. So I, I, I can literally say that I, you know, sort of was uh, had uh, strong interracial experiences from uh, apart from uh, my, uh, uh, my, my my nanny um, from age. 11 or 12 on, and it, it just sort of continued. There were stops. When I came back to Chicago... From at, France. From France. Um, the Trumbull Park riots were going on. 
I don't know if people know about this. There was uh, uh, half a dozen families had moved into a low-rise public housing development mm-hmm. at the far southeast side of Chicago, uh, the Trumbull Park community, and it was a serious conflagration. There were bombs this, going this off. Is, we should point out this is the area bordering Indiana, near the steel yes. mills, uh, heavily uh, uh, eth- white ethnic at the time, now yep. more, more uh, mixed Hispanic. Hispanic, yeah. yeah. So I still, still think there are probably very few African Americans there, but mm-hmm. a lot of Hispanics. And uh, it, it's the area that gave rise to, late in later years, to Harold Washington's nemesis, Ed- uh, Edward Rodoliak. Anyway, uh, um, my first, quote, civil rights activities were trying to write leaflets uh, in the uh, 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 misbegotten notion that if we could only educate those white people that having black families next to them is not a horrible thing and so on and so forth. Well, of course, um, uh, when we went out there, we were uh, uh, treated with more disdain even than the... uh, uh, than some of the African Americans because we were, you know, lovers. Mm-hmm. Do you, and and uh, in the in the early '60s, this culminated in a uh, relationship with uh, Dr. King. You were involved in the march on Washington and organizing yeah, regionally yeah. for that. As as the uh, uh, particularly in Hyde Park, which was a center uh, of a lot of civil rights activities. Uh, uh, I began uh, joining organizations in 60, 61, 62, uh, which gave rise to uh, uh, a big civil rights coalition called the uh, Coordinating Council for Community Organizations. And uh, we organized school boycotts. We organized the March on Washington uh, for jobs in the Midwest area mm-hmm. uh, for you know, D- Dr. King. How were you making a living, by the way, during all of this? Well, I was uh, doing various things. I, I, I was writing for the National Safety Council. Um, I was uh, uh, writing for uh, uh, an, an industrial uh, sales magazine. So just freelancing, basically. Well, I had jobs. I, I was technically a, a, a full-time employer, uh, empl- employee, um, and I was always uh, slipping away to do this other work in the <laughs> early mornings at lunchtimes and uh, um, as soon as work was over. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, to talk about the March on Washington and just the, as an event and what your recollections were of that, of that day when Dr. King made his famous uh, speech at the Lincoln Memorial. Well... My, my, my recollections of it were a very, very hot day. I lost the Chicago delegation when we got off a train. We'd organized two uh, uh, trainloads of people to uh, come to it from Chicago. And uh, I was wandering around looking for the Chicago delegation uh, and watching people with their feet in the pond and so on. And then... Um, some of the speeches started, and I stopped, and uh, came Dr. King's. Um, Had you heard him speak before? Yes, mm-hmm. yes. Uh, yeah, I knew exactly who who, who he was. Um, 
I I had heard him heard heard him once in person, and of course a number of uh, radio and TV speeches. I did not know him at the time, mm-hmm. um, and uh, then we had a, a a march past the White House. I think this came before I lost the Chicago delegation. <laughs> Uh, <clears throat> Timuel Black, who's yeah. uh, still a prominent Chicago still living, yeah. um, civil rights figure, historical figure, um, and his son were there. And Tim is a short man, and I remember um, putting his son Timmy on my shoulders so he could see the White House because he had, Tim was too short. <laughs> do and and King's speech itself. Do you remember your feelings when you heard that? The impact was not immediate. I thought it sounded wonderful, uh, but I had so many other things on my mind. I mean, I knew it was a great speech. It was what I expected. Um, I think the full impact of it uh, probably didn't hit me till we were uh, on the way back on the train. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, it, and, and probably for half a century or more after I mean, it is. Oh yes, it, it, it is um, one of the great recorded, at least, speeches uh, of all time. And then you, you got, you said you hadn't known him yet. You did get to know him. I got to know him. Uh, he decided at one point around uh, the end of '64. He had given a big speech in Chicago in '64, uh, but um, uh, in in late '64. Early 65, he decided that he wanted to open up a northern front. And uh, he was looking at Chicago. He was looking at Cleveland, Detroit, New York. I think his right-hand man, Andy Young, who later mm-hmm. became a uh, congressman mm-hmm. and I think Bastard mayor of the U.N., yeah. mayor of Atlanta, yes. Mayor of Atlanta, um, was more interested in Harlem. Um, but we arranged a, a four-day weekend to show him all of Chicago. We took him to every African-American neighborhood in Chicago. We took him to one or two liberal suburbs to help raise money. Uh, and he was very impressed with this. He went on to the other cities. By the time they got to Harlem, uh, they found that the uh, civil rights groups were more uh, at war with each other than they were with the man. And uh, he decided clearly to come to Chicago. And uh, during this this four-day weekend, three-and-a-half-day weekend that we arranged for him is when I got to know him. I was acting as uh, uh, press secretary for the uh, uh, Coordinating Mm -hmm. Council, CCCO, as we called it. And then when he came here in 1966, you became the spokesperson for his Chicago campaign. Exactly. His uh, pattern was to merge with local civil rights groups. So the uh, Southern Christian Leadership Conference and the CCCO moved together to form the Chicago Freedom Movement, just as the SCLC and Birmingham became the Birmingham Freedom Movement. So there was a joint uh, uh, operation between SCLC and CCCO. Al Raby was the co-chair with Dr. King. Uh, and uh, A late, uh, right, the late uh, organizer, a good, good friend of yours and mine, he, a former school teacher here. Exactly. There's, there's even a school named after him now, which is quite wonderful. Uh, at one time, he was anathema to City Hall, and now there's a, a high school named after him. Um, but so, he, the, Dr. King came here 
primarily to uh, to uh, shine a light on housing discrimination. Well, actually, it, it, it was broader than that initially. Um, w- we had had a, a wide-ranging program from economics, job development, which was uh, Operation Breadbasket, which people heard about because Jesse Jackson was the leader of it. And uh, we had a medical uh, 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 wing and uh, several others and a, a testing program to see who would and would not um, uh, give African-American families housing in neighborhoods that were a mile from the racial, bo- uh, the racial borderline, which we used to have lots of in Chicago, yes. and uh, yet was still... Um, Economically uh, available to the typical African so working a working family. class white neighborhood, right? And in Chicago, many of them were adjacent to working class black neighborhoods. Yeah. Um, let me let me just interrupt for a second and say we're going to take a short break, and we'll be right back with Don Rose. So. Uh, this all culminated in a march. Yeah, what happened was uh, during these testing programs to see who would and would not um, uh, help African Americans get housing in white areas, uh, there was a, a real estate agency in uh, 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 Gage Park on the west, uh, central west side of Chicago, southwest side of mm-hmm. Chicago, and uh, uh, that was the first one we had been able to single out, and we held a vigil in front of the place. There was perhaps 50 or 60 uh, black and white people, and as the uh, 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 the evening came, large white crowds gathered around, and it threatened to get very violent. Uh, they, You could see that they had sticks, they had bottles, uh, and before the violence came, uh, uh, neither Raby nor King were with us, but they cut, the police cut a deal with Jackson uh, that would let a, a, a transport all the uh, uh, demonstrators, the vigilers, uh, in a police van back to our headquarters uh, in the south, uh, uh, south side of Chicago. And what people saw on television were civil rights people being herded into a, a van uh, while the, uh, uh, the, the, the true uh, uh, people who were perpetrators them, yeah. uh, who were menacing them, you know, dispersed. Yeah. They won. And we got— Not, not a—these uh, th- are haunting images when you consider recent news here. It's, the more things change, the more they say the same. Yeah. It's just, you know— uh, I, I can just imagine what uh, uh, our president's speech would be about that particular episode. Uh, anyway, we go back to the uh, headquarters and uh, say, you know, how do we recover? Uh, we was used, Dr. King back at the headquarters? He was not there, but he was called in. Mm-hmm. Al Raby came in. Both King and Raby were furious. That, that, that you left. That we left, that, you know, under the circumstances we left. And we uh, uh, said, how do we get this back? We use terms like, how do we regain our manhood, which mm-hmm. things you can't say now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and I and others say the only way to do it is to march back uh, to that place. And 
We started the march, went through the black area, then through... Uh, and Dr. When, King joined you on this? Uh, not, not on the first one. Uh, the, the the first march is where we met all these uh, 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 crypto-fascist kids standing along there throwing rocks, bottles, and the police abetting them. Uh, the worst thing that happened to them was a police policeman would take them away uh, in a van and let them go three or four blocks away. We reached Marquette Park, which was on the way to this uh, uh, particular real estate agency, and cars were burned. Uh, we were met with a huge force, and once again we had to turn back. Uh, it was then uh, we planned another one for two days later, which is when Dr. King would be with us. And uh, we got, by this time, Mayor Daly decided that this was looking so the bad. First Mayor to, Daly, the first Mayor, Mayor Daly, Richard J. Daly, Richard J. Daly. J. Daly uh, decided that this was looking so bad, he better have the police protect the marchers instead of side with the uh, uh, the this was a throwers. national story now, and Dr. Oh, King yes. being there made it a national Absolutely. story. But th- still, he had bricks and bottles thrown at him. Uh, there's a famous footage of him uh, marching through Marquette Park and having uh, having uh, having to duck. Right. I, mean, I well, guess he got was, hit. He, he was hit, and that was, it was on that second march that we got through Marquette Park. But he was hit by a brick. He was felled. Fortunately, uh, just stunned slightly, but we did make it at that point all the way back to the uh, 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 real estate agency that we had originally planned the vigil. That is what turned the whole movement, the whole King movement, into an open housing movement. Mm-hmm. It was not the original plan by any means. The, um, there were f- that, and that f- was 15. when he said he hadn't ever seen he hadn't seen hate filled mobs like that in the in the South. Exactly. Um, but at the end of the day, he, he he didn't leave with much, did he? He left with uh, maybe well, an energized movement, but uh, he he energized the movement, and I uh, uh, I think there's some revaluation to be done. Uh, the only permanent institution that came out of uh, uh, the final summit meetings with King and the city and the county and so on were that the real estate agencies would drop their opposition to open housing laws and uh, an institution called uh, 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 the Open Housing uh, Committee for Metropolitan Open Communities was formed, which lived on and did uh, more or less on a casework basis, place a lot of families into white suburban areas and some white city areas. That was the only institution there. But at the same time, we were moving politically. Yeah. And people don't realize, but uh, uh, during the King period when he was there and encouraging things, although he didn't uh, 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 speak politically uh, but he gave a lot of uh, 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 winks and nods. Uh, we were able to elect two independent Democratic state senators. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, you could argue that 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 movement in 1966 really uh, was uh, led to the election of Harold Washington to uh, 20 years later, essentially, absolutely as a, as the first black mayor. And I always argue that. But for Harold Washington, there may not have been a Barack Obama as a U.S. senator. So, 
I mean, there's a lot that flowed from from that sort of seminal event that you were involved so yeah, deeply involved in. Yeah, well, if I may um, plug it, uh, there's a book that uh, uh, came out recently called The Chicago Freedom Movement, which is a revaluation of what happened. And I have a chapter on the political history, uh, independent African-American, by this we mean independent Democrats, mm-hmm. uh, independent African-American um, uh, uh, officials being elected. The year after King left, we elected two independent uh, aldermen mm-hmm. and so on. Uh, now, And we should point out that that was a real departure from the norm in Chicago where African-Americans, the entry point for politics for African-Americans was through the Democratic organization, and there was very little sort of uh, resistance uh, within uh, the uh, Democratic ranks to that. Well, the African-American communities uh, in those days was considered the plantation, and uh, they used to use the word plantation politics to describe the activities. I think activities. you use those words. Yeah, well, yes, I may. Um and it formed a, 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 a um, uh, it, today with you know a, a, a very equal, almost equal distribution of uh, African American, Latino, uh, and white aldermen. Uh, the, it, it began to change the face of the city council. Mm-hmm. Let me move on to another event in the '60s that you were deeply involved in. Uh, you know, I came to Chicago four years after the Democratic Convention in Chicago, but that really put a spotlight on. Chicago and Chicago politics and the the Democratic machine and Mayor Daley and so on Uh, but that that was a that was a historic event the 1968 convention which turned into sort of a cataclysm a a, a police riot uh, where police and and, and anti-war demonstrators were uh, were literally Falling in the into battling in the streets of Chicago, you were again in the middle of that. Uh, How how did that? uh, I always find myself in some kind of trouble. Yes, I know. Yeah, (laughs) your mother would uh, be very proud. I I was a uh, uh, um, an anti-war activist uh, at the same time as I was a civil rights activist. You know, I was I was a generalized left-wing activist, and I was uh, working with uh, a national organization called the National. Uh, 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 mobilization committee to end the war in Vietnam uh, with names that are probably long forgotten now like uh, Rennie Davis yes. and uh, uh, David Dellinger and so on. Yeah, who are among the fam- famed um, Chicago 7, the organizers right. of the anti-war demonstrations yeah. at, the, uh, at the Democratic Convention. Right, and so I was uh, in effect one of the organizers of uh, the major demonstrations that took place now, you always say sort of ruefully that had you not lived in Chicago, that you would have been uh, among the Chicago Seven because they were charged with crossing state lines. Uh, yes. That was, that was part of why they were brought up under federal uh, charges. So you, you I, I would have been either an indicted or unindicted co-conspirator, except that I was from Chicago. And although I did do some traveling in my organizing, they never— track that, uh, but all the people who were indicted and uh, uh, tried in the conspiracy trial were people who 
had come to Chicago crossing state lines. And uh, uh, as I so say... So some uh, of the other, Abby Hoffman, Jerry Rubin, right. these are names that, that may have faded into history, but they were very vivid figures at the time. Very. Um, and, you, and, and, and your role was also as the communications director right. uh, for them. There was a famous phrase that became a chant in the crowd. Uh, what, what was that phrase? Well, <laughs> and how did I, it come I, about? I, I was not trying to uh, phrase make, but um, we were on our way to a press conference after the first police beatings, uh, and Rennie Davis was going to hold the press conference, and he said, oh, my God, this is horrible. You, we're looking at some of these people who were really badly beaten. Uh, what can we do? I said, tell them the whole world's watching. They can't get away with it again. Well, the whole world was watching, but they did get away with it again. But that that phrase, the whole world is watching, became the sort of memorable phrase that the crowds were chanting uh, during this these these battles between police and And protesters. they're still chanting it at various other situations, uh, um, author unknown. <laughs> Let me ask you a question uh, uh, about this. Um, do you believe that the outcome of the election in 1968, in which Richard Nixon defeated Hubert Humphrey by like a point, would have been different had there not been uh, this, uh, this uh, battle between police and protesters in Chicago? I have uh, slowly come to that conclusion. It took me some time. I, w I was never quite sure uh, because you have to remember, uh, as close as that election was, uh, George Wallace still won several states, Five, the third, candy, yeah. uh, 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 third party candidacy. And um, uh, w without that battle, uh, Nixon could have carried some more of those states. So... Um, I think the election was not really as close as it seemed. Uh, I would say that uh, uh, the 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 uh, uh, friction within the Democratic Party certainly was a contributing factor, may have been the contributing factor, but I also think that had Hubert Humphrey come out much earlier against, against the, the war. war uh, some of that friction would have uh, abated. So I think um, the movement probably shares uh, the blame with Hubert Humphrey's reluctance to break with Lyndon Johnson. You were a uh, musician and a writer in the 50s. Uh, you were still a writer, but an organizer uh, in the 60s, a civil rights organizer, an anti-war organizer. Uh, you became a political organizer in a major way. You mentioned this started in the 60s, but in the 1970s in, in Chicago, you became a, uh, a major sort of political uh, organizer. What, what caused you to turn from, uh, from sort of the street action element of civil rights, anti-war, to actually running campaigns, doing media for candidates? Well, I was doing a, a little bit of both all along the way. I was in, during the 60s, during the King period, I was helping 
uh, some of the independent African-American uh, uh, candidates for the, the uh, state senate and for later for aldermen. So I had been doing a lot of this stuff simultaneously, I, uh, and, and I just see, um, for want of a, 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 of a better word, where the opportunity for progress presented itself, whether it was in a uh, civil rights march, in a uh, campaign for Congress for somebody like Ralph Metcalf, who had broken with the original Mayor Daley, uh, whether it we, was... We, we should stop and talk about this. I get accused sometimes of getting too into the weeds on Chicago politics, but what the hell? First of all, it's my podcast, but secondly... Um, it's interesting uh, because in, in Chicago you see the evolution of a independent black political movement that I think has had had uh, great implications even nationally. But Ralph Metcalf uh, was a Olympic sprinter uh, and hurdler. Yeah, an Olympic he went, winner. He yep. was he was at the. Berlin Olympics in 1936 with Jesse Owens, right? Uh, and uh, uh, when uh, they defied Adolf Hitler, um, and was embraced by the Chicago Democratic Organization as, yes. and became a lieutenant of Mayor Daley. Very close. And then the issue that's still that's still with us today about police brutality, poli- uh, abuse of power, uh, was such that he. Had a rupture with uh, with Daly. He did, and it was uh, <clears throat> certainly in part his own conscience, but he was also abetted by the fact that he had been redistricted somewhat, that there was a redistricting uh, which put Hyde Park, a more independent progressive uh, uh, community, into his district. And that's when I really hooked up with him. Um, because we were never quite sure whether whose side he was on, unlike Harold Washington, who, even though he was, quote, with the machine, was always at the civil rights rallies, always at the civil rights fundraising parties. Ralph came late to it, but uh, when he made that break with Daly, it was very, very definite. And and very meaningful, because he was seen he, he, as Daly's... As as Daly's guy, kind of ironic because uh, one of the reasons Hyde Park was placed in his district was the mayor was eager to get rid of Abner Mikva, who was the congressman from Hyde Park, and uh, right. they divided up Mikva's district, and he gave Hyde Park to Metcalf on the theory that Metcalf was loyal and uh, he could be trusted to remain so. Exactly. Uh, And little did he know, by sending Mikva out of Hyde Park to Evanston, they eventually uh, radicalized Evanston. (laughs) We're going to take another short break. We'll be right back with Don Rose. You mentioned uh, uh, this budding movement within the uh, African-American community, but ultimately... um, it, it was because of the African-American community, but it wasn't an African-American who toppled the the mighty Democratic organization to win the big prize, which was City Hall. That was another thing that you were deeply uh, involved in. You were the chief strategist for a woman named Jane Byrne, who challenged the uh, Democratic organization after Mayor Daley died, challenged the man he, who was selected to succeed him by the Democratic machine, Michael Bolandic, 
And uh, I, I'm familiar with this because I covered that campaign as a reporter, young reporter for the Chicago Tribune. And the reason I was able to cover it was because nobody thought she had a chance. And they always used to give me, as the young kid, the candidate they were sure was going to lose. Why do you uh, talk a little bit about how that uh, evolved? Because uh, well, that, first of all, uh, there there was a, uh, um, a, 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 a an interim election after Mayor Daley died, where Harold Washington ran uh, the first time for, for the first time. Uh, he lost. He carried something like eleven wards. Uh, and a uh, white, uh, a very, very white racist uh, alderman named Roman Puczynski ran. Um, but the two of them, uh, when I'm, I'm a great numbers guy, yes. and the two of them carried 49% of the precincts in Chicago. And my thought was, uh, someday, somewhere, we're going to find somebody who can merge uh, the white ethnic uh, uh, non-hostile or not-so-hostile element of Chicago with the African-American movement. There was relatively so, few Latinos so at in, the time. People who were willing to, white ethnics who were willing to vote against the organization. Right. And African American and uh, Jane Byrne uh, achieved some notoriety by breaking with the uh, then uh, incumbent Mayor Belandic over uh, um, a taxi fare increase. Uh, she was the she, consumer commissioner. She was the uh, commissioner of consumer affairs, correct? And uh, um, they had first asked me to uh, help in that campaign, and. I was reluctant because I thought maybe there might be a more genuine independent progressive uh, such as a Bill Singer who had once run against Mayor She had been Daley. a uh, she had been a lieutenant of Mayor Daley. Yes, she was very much on that side. Although, you know, she made this break and uh she was anathema to the organization. Well, and I can attest to the fact that she was a for a period of months there maybe sometimes reading words that you had written a fire-breathing reformer. Well, I um, hope I lit some of the fire. Yes. And, uh, um, the pilot went, light went uh, out rather quickly after she took office, but you did light a fire. Did light a fire. We had a little help from um, uh, Mother Nature yes. with a very bad snowstorm. Uh, Forty days of snow. And people ask me what would we have done without the snow. I always say we would have come up with another strategy. So what was interesting <laughs> about it is it, it, it snowed for 40 days, and in his wisdom, uh, Mayor Bolandic decided that he was going to run L service from downtown to the suburbs and bypass the west side and the south side where African Americans uh, lived. And so when Jane Byrne got elected... Uh, your vision really came together. She got disaffected white ethnic voters, but uh, she got about two-thirds or so of the uh, African-American vote. More than that, actually. Mm -hmm. uh, and, uh, um, yeah, well, my, 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 my calculation that the numbers were there to win, uh, you know, came to fruition, as I say, with a little help from the snow. How big was that for you, having been a guy who had been a thorn in the side of the machine all those years, to then be the architect of a campaign that, that, that brought it down, or that you thought had brought it down? 
Well, I was always a little bit suspicious because her husband, uh, Jay McMullen, who I knew, a a, daily news reporter, daily news reporter, but very close to City Hall. um, There was a struggle going on between my trying to move her into the reform movement with both feet instead of a toe, Mm -hmm. and Jay telling uh, her. that the uh, city hall is lined with the bones of reformers. Uh, Jay somehow managed to win that struggle, and Jane uh, and I broke quickly. I I was covering that campaign, as I mentioned. We went to a church on the west side of Chicago, and before uh, she spoke, uh, Danny Davis spoke, who was then running for alderman, now a longtime veteran congressman, but an independent Mm -hmm. Democrat, and he told the story about a guy who went to the local uh, a local food pantry that was run by the city, and uh, and he asked to be fed, and they said, um, "Well, only after you bring your absentee ballot." Uh, and I I was twenty something, twenty two years old or something, twenty four years old, and we got in the car, and I said to uh, Burn, I said, "Well, that that was a really shocking, appalling." story and she said that happens all the time which mm-hmm. should have been a clue to me that she was going to govern as a uh, not as a reformer which she did not i want to go through all the details of of that uh but the reason it's important is that same constituency that propelled her to ma- to mayoralty black community uh, uh turned on her and really uh drafted Harold Washington uh, exactly. to, to run in 1983. Kicking and screaming. Yeah, no, He. I went to see him in the summer of 1982, and he said, well, why would I want to run for mayor? I said, I'm a congressman. They treat us like a king. You know, I, that's a real job, mayor. He said, you know, uh, but he said, I'm going to set all these stand. They have to re- register this many people. He thought he was setting money. impossible goals. right. And they met the impossible dream, right? And then, and he won. He and won. he won. What is what did that mean to politics in Chicago? Harold Washington's victory as mayor. Well, that eventually broke the entire machine. Although we went through uh, um, five years of uh, bitter, bitter uh, uh, racial conflict in the city council. And uh, through the city, the the, uh, white aldermen uh, were, with uh, the exception of a couple of independent liberals uh, and one guy who had been a machine guy but was tied to George Dunn, who was liberal in his own way. uh, Okay, keep going. Yeah. yeah. Uh, You and I could talk about this for hours, but these are names that are probably most meaningful to us. right. Uh, long forgotten, but uh, um, eventually more and more independent uh, African-American candidates began winning Democratic primaries, uh, among them uh, uh, Carol Mosley Braun, which is certainly a name people will Mm -hmm. uh, remember. Elected ultimately to the United States Senate. And... uh, the, uh, the the machine uh, um, workers, the precinct captains, had to go out. Once these independents started winning uh, primaries, they had to be included in the general because 
the idea was vote Democratic. I mean, in those days, you could have a straight Democratic uh, a line, uh, punch 10, they used to say, yes. for the Democrats. And uh, that began uh, basically the breakdown of uh, began the breakdown of racial politics, not that it's gone, but that's what made it possible um, some years later uh, for a fellow named Barack Obama to win, actually win outright uh, uh, wards all over the south and northwest side of Chicago where Harold Washington was getting 5% of the vote oh, yes. and 3% of the vote, and suddenly... Uh, this handsome, tall African American guy was getting more votes there than his white opponent. The night that uh, Barack uh, Obama won, you that, had a bit to do with that. The, the the night that he won that primary for the U.S. Senate, you know, uh, I'm uh, I'm a numbers guy too, and we had a target of 38 percent. There were seven candidates, mm-hmm. and Obama won 53 percent, and he carried every ward but one on the northwest side, uh, white ethnic. Wards and uh, uh, including the ward uh, at St. Pascal's Church on the southwest side, the precinct where that church was, where Harold Washington met really virulent protesters when he was running for mayor in 1983. And uh, I I remember saying to Obama that night that Harold was smiling down on us uh, because uh, it was it represented such progress in terms of race. Uh, in, in politics, so what uh, we're talking Chicago. about here, uh, D- David, uh, you know, not not partially through my biography, but this is also a a a, a history of uh, social movements in Chicago, which have been reflected anywhere. We are, we are talking about uh, uh, th- there was an old song that Phil Oakes used to sing called "Links on a Chain," and from. The time King arrived in Chicago, and even before that, when we organized a school boycott, uh, and we'd elect an independent here and an independent there, these were the links on a chain that were culminated with the election of Barack Obama. Mm-hmm. If I can tell you just a brief story, yeah. uh, in '66, one of the two seats. That uh, in, uh, state Senate seats that we won was in Hyde Park and South Shore. Uh, a, there was a white machine guy who was defeated by a fellow named Dick Newhouse. Right. Dick Newhouse was a, an Ivy-educated uh, 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 guy, wore a vest, uh, very well-spoken. I well, yes. And many of us said, this guy could be the first uh, black president of the United States. Well, it didn't work out that way for Dick. Uh, Dick but the man laid, who took his seat. Eventually, the man who took his seat with one interregnum yes. turned out to be the first black president of the United States. So talk to me a little bit as someone who's been uh, involved in civil rights, in the politics of of, of race and, and, and the battle for integration and social justice all these years. Uh, how do you interpret the events of today? Because obviously with uh, what happened in Virginia, uh, you know, all of these things that we're talking about have come back. And there is a temptation to say uh, that uh, things are worse 
than they were before. I guess my feeling is when I think about the battles that you fought, and I, I had John Lewis on my uh, podcast and on my podcast, on mm-hmm. my, my show on CNN, and you think about what guys like he and others went through and where they really risked their lives to change laws, uh, that it's wrong to say that we haven't made progress, but how do you interpret today's events and this particular president? Well, tragically enough, you, you know, you know the, there's a current saying, we've seen this movie before. Mm-hmm. My fear is that this movie is being shown backward. We, we have been uh, losing ground. Uh, the Supreme Court uh, uh, gutted uh, uh, the Civil Rights Act, the Voting Rights Act. Uh, we have an attorney general who has turned away from the concept of police reform and so on. Now, how long this is going to last? I don't know if we were on a regressive path or how long it is going to take the Republican Party to wake up and see that we've got a serious, seriously mentally defective guy who can help bomb Korea, he could initiate a war, or he can uh, support the Ku Klux Klan, as he virtually did uh, just within recent days. Um, and the only, the only way of dealing with this is when the Republican Party begins to realize that he is uh, uh, a negative force for them. But, you know, you look at polling and he still retains, uh, you know, high approval numbers among Republicans. And one of the things that we need to grapple with as a country is it's not just the way we draw maps. But the fact is we are organizing ourselves. We are living in such ways that, uh, you know, metropolitan areas tend to be Democratic. Rural areas tend to be strongly Republican. The only races that matter to those uh, political races that matter to those candidates uh, are primaries. And as long as there's popularity for, uh, for Trump among those voters, it's, it's, it's going to be uh, difficult for them to break with him. So, you know, just politicians, you've worked with them all your life being pragmatic. Um, that's a big hurdle to overcome. It's a huge hurdle to overcome. I feel, uh, you know, uh, it's almost Sisyphean. Will we ever get to the top? The yeah. rock has moved back halfway. Yeah. And can we ever get to that top? Um, I think the only uh, 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 light I see is that this guy is so bizarre. And uh, more and more Republicans... Uh, and more and more uh, people who haven't voted may wake up and we might be able to recapture a house mm-hmm. because the only other way to remove him involves congressional action. Well, there's also, uh, there's also elections. We have to show in the 2018 election that he is a liability to the Republican Party. Yeah. Well, I, you know, I, I would just say this. To all of my uh, my friends who 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 talk about things like impeachment, uh, that uh, whatever happens with Donald Trump, um, it's incumbent on people to proceed 
in a way that is consonant with our democracy, consonant with our constitution, so that there's no doubt about the legitimacy of what we do. I don't know what's going to happen with Donald Trump. I'm operating under the assumption that he's going to serve four years and there'll be an election for president in four years. Uh, Maybe that won't be uh, the case. But regardless of that, it's going to be up to people, Republicans and Democrats, to decide what they're willing to tolerate and what they're not willing to tolerate. Well, I couldn't agree with you more. And I have to tell all my Democratic friends, stay angry. And Which you do in your weekly work. column. I uh, <laughs> try, try to do that. And uh, there is also the uh, possibility, the probability, that uh, there will be some legal action against him. Now, whether that is enough to remove him uh, or enough to yeah, anger see. people, I, I, I still hold out some hope that in 2018 we might be able to get one of the houses back, or at least win back enough seats so that the Republicans realize that he is a negative force for them. Don Rose, you talked about pushing the rock uh, up the hill in, in Sisyphean fashion. Uh, no one has uh, that I know has worked harder to push that rock for as long as you have, uh, and I honor you for that and appreciate you as a friend and a mentor uh, all these years, and it's always a pleasure Uh, to be with you. So I want to thank you for spending time with us. It's been a great pleasure, and I um, keep pushing the rock, brother. I hope I haven't talked about myself too much. That's the whole point of the show. (laughs) What are you talking about? It's great to be with you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to The Axe Files, part of the CNN Podcast Network. For more episodes of The Axe Files, visit cnn.com slash podcast and subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, or your favorite app. And for more programming from the University of Chicago Institute of Politics, visit politics.uchicago.edu. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com.